Good morning. Welcome to our service this morning. It's good to see you all here on this bright and sunny morning. Um, for those who don't know me, I'm Kate and I'm the minister here. And um, it's good to welcome you. If you haven't picked up one of these or received one of these by email, please do pick one up. It's our new sheet for May. Tells you what's happening, what will be happening. Wonderful. Well, um, today's a very exciting day. I don't know whether you know. Does anyone know anything special today? (gasps) Yes, Pat. It's the day of Pentecost. Yes. I don't know whether anyone remembered that. I was sitting in a minister's meeting earlier in the week. I was going, oh, Sunday. What should I do on Sunday? They went, you know it's Pentecost? I went, oh, yes, Pentecost. We should do that then. The thing is, Pentecost is very exciting. Often we've had party poppers and we've had a bit of a sort of party because it's the birth of the modern day church people say but it's also something else um, which well came to me when I was in town walking past one of my favourite shops which I never go in because it's way too expensive but seeing something that I'd not seen before that was very exciting which is here on the screen will appear and um it's from the Build the Bear shop. And I realised that they do a Wonder Woman Build a Bear. Did you know that? I might go in there now and make one. And Build a Bear, anyone got a Build a Bear or done a Build a Bear? How exciting, quite a few of you. Because you go in the Build a Bear shop and you select your bear without the stuffing. And then you have the stuffing put in. I think this is correct. Tell me if I'm wrong. And then you can pick a heart. And you give your heart a little kiss. And you can put your heart inside the bear. And you can have some sound effects as well if you want, I think. And then you sew your bear up. And it's your bear with the heart in it that you chose and gave a little kiss to. And that's your bear. Very, very special. I could do that with a Wonder Woman bear, you see, and then I really would. My dreams would come true. But, you know, it made me think about Pentecost, that we think that's very special. We can build a bear and put the heart in that we've kissed and put in. But actually what God did at Pentecost was he poured his Holy Spirit upon everyone's life. So, in effect, he put his spirit inside us, like you put the little heart in the bear. That's very special. But what's even more special is that we don't have to look at God from afar or bow down and be all perfect because God came to us and he put his spirit inside our lives so he could say, that's my child. In fact, this is what he does say in the Bible. We've got a passage on the screen where God says this when we talk about his Holy Spirit in our lives says this, since you are now God's children, he has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts. The spirit cries out, Abba, Father. Now you are not slaves like before. You are God's children and you will receive everything he promised his children. We think of Pentecost as the birth of the modern day church, but we can also see Pentecost as a time when God poured his spirit into the lives of every single person that we can call out Father and that we can be his children. Of course, as we gather together as God's people, as God's children, 
We not only remember the gift of the Holy Spirit, we remember the gift of Jesus. It was Jesus' spirit put into our lives. But it was Jesus' life that was given that we might receive the Spirit of God and be called children of God. And as we gather together today, we gather round the table of the Lord. We're invited by Jesus to partake again, to eat and drink again, and to enter into his life. We remember as Jesus was with his friends, the disciples, how he took bread after the meal and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, broken for you. This is my life given in exchange for your life. And then he took the cup and he said, this is my blood shed for you. This is my blood which is shed instead of your blood, that you might live and become children of God. And this morning we're invited to eat and to drink, to remember that Jesus took our place, but also to receive from him again this morning. Well, we have a quick um, switch from Pentecost to the book of Joshua. Works well. I thought. Um, We started a series last week on the book of Joshua in the Old Testament, and we're going to continue it this week. So I'm going to be reading from Joshua chapter 1, verses 10 to 18, if you uh, would like to follow them, although the words are already up on the screen. So, Joshua has um, been commissioned by God. And now he's going to the people to tell them what God would like. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. But to the Reubenites, the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you after he said, The Lord your God will give you rest by giving you this land. Your wives, your children and your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan. But all your fighting men ready for battle must cross over ahead of the other Israelites. You are to help them until the Lord gives them rest as he has done for you and until they too have taken possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. After that, you may go back and occupy your own land, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you east of the Jordan towards the sunrise. Then they answered Joshua, Whatever you have commanded us, we will do, and wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey it, whatever you may command them is to be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. The other night I um, allowed myself to watch One Born Every Minute. It's the first time I've watched it since Joshua was born. Takes a while, you know. But I thought, I can watch it now. That's fine. For those of you who don't know what One Born Every Minute is, it's a 
documentary that follows the lives of those who work in labour wards or in birthing units, different places around the country, and therefore it follows the lives of people who are giving birth or about to give birth. And um, so you watch the hours leading up to the birth of a new baby, which, you know, for some people can be fascinating and very exciting. For others, it's like, no, I don't want to. Simon walked in the room and walked straight back out again. He was like, I don't want to see that. But you watch these things and uh, you watch these people waiting. You see their reactions and the way that they treat each other in those vital moments as they're about to give birth. And watching these unsuspecting first-time parents, which many of them are when they're filming them, and seeing their mixture of excitement and fear, because they can hear other things happening in the ward, reminds me again of the huge changes that a new baby brings to someone's life. Normally, of course, there are about nine months to get used to this change, you know, to get ready by buying items, clothing, nappies bottles, all the things that you might need, making life ready for this tiny human being. Nine months to prepare for the arrival of a new life. But sometimes that doesn't really do it, you know, because when life changes in such a dramatic way, it can take a while to come round from that. And, you know, it's not just when a baby is born. There's all sorts of changes in life that can cause us upset and disturb the way we are. You know, it might be that we have a big change in a job or something like that, or we happen to move house to a new location. might be that we find we've been diagnosed with an illness or we encounter bereavement in our lives. It could be something devastating and heartbreaking, or it could be something very positive that changes. It could be something we've planned, this is what we want, even though it's a big change, or it could be something that just comes upon us quite unexpectedly. Or maybe it's simply the realisation that life around us has changed and that we need to adjust to this. Whatever it may be, the arrival of a new life, a different way of being, demands some getting used to, often a lot longer than nine months. It happens to all of us at some point in our lives with various things changing and it happens both as individuals and also as groups of people. And here in the first chapter of the book of Joshua, it's happening to the people of God, this change. Because here beside the River Jordan, on the edge of the promised land, life, if you like, is about to take a dramatic turn for them. We heard last week from John, who visited and and spoke to us, that the book of Joshua marks a new phase in the life of the people of Israel. The time after Moses, their great leader, had died, and Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, took charge. In the previous few verses, as I said, God commissioned Joshua for this great task that he had, or if you like, God laid out the task that he was going to do. He told him that after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, he, Joshua, was to now lead these people to inherit the land that had been sworn to their ancestors. He was to take them into the promised land, something that Moses was not allowed to do. And now in our passage today, Joshua is to take this information that God has given him and pass it on. Or if you like, he's to go to the people of Israel who are sitting by the River Jordan and tell them to get ready. He's to tell them to get organised. Because in three days' time, they will be leaving this camp 
and crossing over the Jordan to enter the promised land and take possession of it. So now they're to make preparations. This is what they're to do. They're to gather supplies, they're to get provisions, they're to make life ready so that they can move. So that when the time comes in three days, they will be fully prepared or as prepared as they can be to do what God has always called them to do. And it's not a difficult set of instructions that Joshua gives to them. There's a mission, if you like. You are to cross the River Jordan and take possession of the land. There's a set of tasks to help fulfill this mission. You're to get supplies and provisions, make yourselves ready. And there is a time scale, three days. In many ways, it's very simple. This is what you're going to do. This is the time scale in which you're going to do it. But of course, in another sense, it's also very difficult. Because just like the time leading up to the arrival of a new baby or something that's about to change in our lives, these instructions are actually heralding the arrival of a new way of living. You see, for 40 years previous to this, the people of God have lived in a certain way. They've been wanderers in the wilderness. They've had a leader, and they've had a very structured camp, and they've had the presence of God among them. But they've been wondering, they've been waiting, they've been looking forward to the future when God will take them into the promised land. And in many ways, you know, they've got used to this life of waiting and wondering. They've got used to the fact that God provided them with food each day by giving them manna upon the ground. They've got used to the fact that God relayed information through Moses to them. That's how it's always been. They've got used to the fact that God has always been pointing them towards the inheritance of the promised land. That's something that's been in the future. And they've got used to that. This is their life. And although it's not where they want to be, they want to be in the promised land, they want to get what God has got for them, in a way, this way of life, this wandering and waiting, well, it was okay for the Israelites. It was familiar. It was what they knew. It wasn't just wondering and waiting. There were battles and there were dangers and there were lots and lots of problems. But in many ways, the people of Israel had learned to deal with the wilderness and its issues. They'd been doing that for 40 years. They were used to it. They were the people of God and they were, well, they had their habits, if you like, and their ways. They were set. And not only that, but as the people of God, as wilderness wanderers, they were together, 12 tribes under one leadership. But now, with these instructions from Joshua to the people, things were about to change, because not only were preparations to be made to move into the promised land, but the people were also to be separated. For the first time ever, they would no longer be 12 tribes together, but they would be separated. We know this because back in the book of Numbers, we read a story about the tribes of Israel when they were wandering in the wilderness, more specifically, as mentioned here at the beginning of the book of Joshua, a story about the tribes of of Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh. In chapter 32 of the book of Numbers, we read how these two and a half tribes, instead of waiting for the right time, approached Moses and there and then asked for some land. They didn't wait to get to the promised land. They asked for some land while they were wandering in the wilderness. It was land to the east of the river Jordan and therefore not land within the promised land, but it was suitable 
for livestock. And because these two and a half tribes had very large herds and flocks, it was ideal for them. And they'd seen it and they thought, this is where we want to settle. We'd be happy with this. So they approached Moses while they were wondering, and they asked him if they could settle there rather than going into the promised land and taking the land there. Moses, at first, if you read the story, was angry with these tribes. Why are they doing this? They're the people of God. They should be looking forward to what God has for them. But when they came to him with the offer to help the rest of Israel take possession of the promised land, even though they themselves would have to then come back over the Jordan to settle in the land they wanted, Moses allowed them. He allowed them to take the land east of the Jordan and to settle there, as long as they fulfilled their promise to go into the promised land with everyone else. So now God's finally calling the people through Joshua to prepare to enter the promised land. This separation of the 12 tribes, two and a half of one side of the Jordan and nine and a half on the other, is about to become a reality, which makes this time in our passage today not only a time of preparation but a bit of a crucial time, a crucial time for Joshua as he tries to lead Israel when they're going to be separated and things are going to change, and also a crucial time for the people of Israel as they prepare to enter the promised land. You know, in many ways, it reminds me a little bit about sport. That might sound a little bit weird, but, you know, because if you watch sport for any length of time, and I do like watching a bit of sport, as you know, if you watch it for any length of time, whether it be football, doesn't have to be football, could be a tennis match or a long-distance running or something like that, somewhere in the event that you're watching, there is almost always a crucial time, a moment when things can either go good or go bad. It's the difference between winning and losing. I remember one specific time, Wimbledon, 2001. don't know whether you can cast your minds back to that. Anyone know who was playing? Oh, I'll remind you. There was a semi-final, very famous, Tim Henman, back in the day, and Goran Ivanisevic. They were playing the semi-final. Now, Tim Henman, as many of you all know, always used to quite nearly, nearly make it, but oh... Oh no, he's now not made it. Well, this particular semi-final started off quite badly. He lost the first set and we're all thinking, again, Tim. And then, don't know what happened. Something amazing. But suddenly, Tim Hemmel was like on fire. Next two sets, wonderful tennis. And we thought he's going to win. He's going to get to the final. First time for, I don't know how many years it was then, that a British man could be in the final. There's no way that Goran Ivanisevic is going to come back into this. Because he's not playing. He's nowhere. He's lost it. And then it rained. Now, 2001, cast your minds back, there's no roof. Oh, no. It's the days of the Wimbledon montages with music in the background because there's no play at the moment because it's raining. Or the replays continually on telly. It started to rain. They went off had to resume the next day. We thought, that's okay. Well, actually, no, we thought, oh dear, that's it. They came back on and started playing again. Tim lost it. Wasn't a shadow of what he'd been before. 
Gordon Evanusevich took the next set, and then it rained. Delayed again. Hope again, but no. Tim was defeated out of Wimbledon. And then, of course, Gordon Evanusevich went on to win Wimbledon for the very first time in, what, four attempts? He beat Pat Rafter in the final on a Monday. It was a wonderful game. And, you know, that was great, but that was the crucial moment. The rain came down at Wimbledon, and it changed everything. It was the difference between winning and losing for Tim Hemman. And here, as the Israelites prepare on the banks of the River Jordan, we have a crucial moment, because as the people of God, not only do they need to be prepared to follow God... Not only do they need to get themselves ready for this next step on their journey, they also need to recognise that as the people of God, they are to follow him together. Not as two and a half tribes and nine and a half tribes, but together. So we're told that Joshua approaches the tribes of Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh, and he reminds them of the promise that they made to Moses so many years ago that although they already have what they need, they still have a commitment to the rest of the people of God. They still need to enter the promised land with everyone else. And their response to Joshua is wonderful, apart from the gory bit at the end where they're going to kill everyone, but this bit is great. They say, whatever you've commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Joshua, son of Nun, in that crucial moment, had prepared and united the people of God. And now they were ready to move into the promised land. And you know, today we may not have the same sense of drama in our lives that there was on that riverbank. You know, we may not have been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years or be in a camp on the banks of the River Jordan or be able to see the promised land right before us. But despite this, we can find that actually we're very similar to the people of Israel at this time. I mean, just like them, as they wandered in the wilderness, we know that life is not as it should be right now. We know that society is not at its best. We know that the world is actually in quite a lot of turmoil. We know that there are problems and there are struggles. And as Christians, we look forward to a time in the future when God will make all things right. That's what we want. But on the other hand, just like the people of Israel, we also find that we're very used to the life that we're living now. You know, we enjoy the luxuries we have, the things that God gives us each day. We go to church once or twice a week to hear from him and we interact with each other. We survive okay as Christians in our society at this time. It's not ideal, it could be better, but it's okay. It's familiar, it's what we know. There may be blips. You know, there's struggles, there's illnesses, there's hurt and there's pain. But in many ways, as Christians today, we have learned how to deal with that. We know our environment and we're very used to it. We know how to live in it. If you like, 
we are the people of God and our habits are set for the world in which we live. And yet, interestingly, just like Joshua with the people of Israel, Jesus, instead of affirming the way we live in this life, calls us to always be ready. That's what he asks of us. He doesn't give us a time scale, as Joshua did, thank goodness. He doesn't say you've got three days to be ready. But in the life we live now, he calls us not to be too comfortable. In the book of Luke, he says... Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning, like servants waiting for their master to return, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. Or if you like, Jesus calls us to continually be prepared for God, to be open to what he has for us, to be looking out for God's ways to be thinking of God's guidance, to be led by God's Holy Spirit, rather than getting used to the way we have always done things and just churning it out week after week. And perhaps most importantly, to realise that as the people of God, whatever God wants us to do, we are called to do it together. We're called to do it together. Do you know, I've got to that point with... um, my children, James and Joshua, where they can tidy up a little bit on their own. Not brilliant at it, but, you know, they know what they should do. And I'm starting to do that thing that my mum did, where I go into the room and, I'm, and they're like, can we watch a bit of telly? And I'm like, what is this mess? What has happened in here? Have we been burgled? And, uh, and I say, you need to clear this up. If you're going to watch telly, you need to clear this up. And immediately... As you know, I get, well, it's not my mess. I didn't do it. It was Joshua, mummy. Because, like, he started throwing everything, and I'm thinking, well, yeah, it probably was him, actually, you know. And then Joshua's like, no, no. And I'm like, I do what my mum says. I'm like, I don't care who made the mess. Oh, she thinks that's a bit unfair, but I do it now. I don't care who made the mess. If it doesn't get tidied up by both of you, neither are watching telly. And, you know... I heard my mum say this, and now I'm saying it. But I know why. It's because as brothers, they're in it together. What one does affects the other. As a family, we're in it together. And as the people of God, we're in it together too. So what one of us does affects the others. Some of us may feel we're fairly okay, like the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. But as Joshua showed, following God as his people is not simply about our own personal relationship. It's about walking together into the new way of life that God has for us. So that we walk with each other. We don't just say, I'm prepared, so I'm all right. We walk together into what God has for us. And you know, we may not feel in the UK that this is a particularly crucial time. Life's very bumpy But as Christians, we're okay. We may not see the promised land directly ahead of us or feel we're on the edge of something new. But if we're not prepared now, if we're not continually preparing ourselves to walk with God, and if we're not united as his people now, then we may look back and see times like this as being a lot more crucial than we initially thought. 
Let's have a moment of quiet before we pray together. So as we go from here, may God bless us and keep us. May we know that we are his children, filled with his Holy Spirit and united together as his family. Amen. Please be seated.